All right. I hope you are all enjoying this wonderful fall weather. If you haven't noticed it, it is fall. Uh, it's very much fall. And I hope you're enjoying the Vikings. Not so much. All right. Moving on. I'm Greg Boyd. I'm a pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. And it is good to have all of you uh, here with us uh, this evening. We are in this series on the charismatic gifts of the Spirit. We're, ge- we're getting a little charismaticized. Uh, this is the unique category of gifts talked about in 1 Corinthians 12. And what makes them unique is that they're not gifts that are inbuilt or part of our personality, part of our aptitudes and things like that. These are supernatural impartations of the Holy Spirit given for a particular purpose at a particular time. Uh, This is what brings the supernatural dimension into our faith walk, the gifts of the Spirit. And our conviction is that their purpose is to be used in uh, house church environments, uh, such as Paul would have been thinking of. He didn't envision a large gathering like we have on the weekends. Uh, It's it's a group of people who know one another, live life with one another, and therefore can discern with one another. And the gifts operate very well in contexts like that, but you get them outside of contexts like that, and they get kind of funky. Uh, They're also for personal ministry, such as we see in the ministry of Jesus. Um, As you're doing your interpersonal ministry with people, uh, be aware that the Holy Spirit wants to use gifts, give you gifts to give to others. And these gifts are for the common good, uh, Paul says. Uh, So today, we're going to talk about uh, the last two that we haven't covered already, and that is speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now these two are... Unfortunately, the most controversial of the charismatic gifts because they are unfortunately the most abused of the charismatic gifts. And I strongly suspect there are some who will be hearing this message this weekend uh, that have been in environments where they have been misused. Uh, And it could be that, in fact, I'm quite certain that there will be people who um, have some triggers around tongues and the interpretation of tongues. it's not necessarily a friendly topic for you. Maybe you get a little nervous about me talking about this. Maybe you've been in environments where you've been judged because you weren't one of the people who spoke in tongues and therefore you're not as spiritual as filled with the Holy Spirit or whatever. Uh, and you don't want to go back there. Or maybe you've been in environments where uh, people tried to make you speak in tongues. Some of you come from environments like that. People grab your jaw and say, say, hallelujah. And then just try to like jump start it here. Come see my marumbo tie and ride my economy on maha. I skin on my knee and ride on my Yamaha. And just trying to like jump start it, get you into it. And they're like rocking you back and forth. Hang on, let go. Hang on, let go. And you don't know what to do. You don't want to go back to that. And that's, that's not that cool. Or you've been in environments where somebody, large group meeting, speaks in tongues. And so everyone waits for an interpretation. Uh, and, and, and you wait and you wait and you wait. And it gets awkward. It gets painful. Because... Someone must have screwed up. And so you wonder when the pastor is going to pull a plug on this thing and just move on. Or worse, you, you, you get an interpretation and it's absolutely wacko. I mean, insane, I've heard some insanely wacko interpretations. Uh, and, and always done in weird voices. Behold the Lamb of God in the midst. You remember that one? <laughs> you read this church. Same guy, same message, same voice. Behold the... Never mind. Uh, you, okay, so if you have triggers around this, I just want you to know I totally get it. Been there, done that, a lot. Uh, so what we're going to try to do today is, is have a, a teaching on this that is biblical and balanced and sane. So we're entitling this message, God Does Not Speak Gibberish. God Does Not Speak Gibberish. There he is. All right, so uh, we're reading from 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, our last sweep of these uh, four verses. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. It's to bless everybody in that community context. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. 
to another message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith, that's a gift of perseverance talked about last week, uh, the, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, that's all the supernatural stuff outside of healing, uh, like when Jesus multiplies the loaves and fishes and things like that, uh, to another speaking in different kinds, oh no, to another prophecy, Speaking of word of encouragement or uh, exhortation from God. To another, distinguishing between spirits. You know what's going on in the spiritual realm. You know what's kind of going on in your own spirit or in someone else's spirit. You can just discern that. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. The word there in Greek is glossolalia. It just means a different language. Foreign language that you didn't learn. To another, the interpretation of tongues. You know what they're saying. All these are the work of one in the same spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Pray with me for a moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everybody who's going to hear this message this weekend. I thank you for loving them and for dying for them, for, for just having a, a heart for them that none of us could possibly even imagine. And Lord, I, I thank you for giving us these gifts. I know that some of us have got wounds from the misuse of these gifts. And I pray, Lord, that you'd heal these wounds and help us to lower our defenses, to maybe once again be open to receiving these gifts. Um, Lord, whatever it is, we need to be internalizing this, to be a people who walk in the Spirit and are genuinely hungry uh, for the Holy Spirit to be interrupting our lives, to use us in the building of the kingdom. Whatever it is, Lord, would you do it? And I know my words are totally impotent at doing that. And so, uh, Lord, I'm going to rest in your sufficiency, trusting that you will infuse this teaching with your power to make it stick to make it do its kingdom work, to build your kingdom in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to start by kind of giving you a little bit of my background with these, these uh, two gifts. Um, I, I've shared before that I was uh, saved when I was 17. And this girl that I was dating brought me to this Pentecostal church to win a blow dryer, and uh, I ended up liking it. And, and then on a Friday night, it was June 27th, 1974. Um, this very nervous young lady who was giving her first sermon, she was a Bible student uh, at this Bible college, and uh, she gave an altar call at the end of it, and I went up and accepted Christ, the surrender of my life. Now, what I don't think I've shared before is this. The minute I did that, I was just overcome with this incredible joy. I, re- I had a powerful God encounter that night. And I was just overcome with joy and just began to praise God with this exuberance. And then at some point, I just noticed, realized that the words coming out of my mouth were not English. I don't know what language they were, but they weren't English. And I, I really didn't know what that was. I had heard about speaking in tongues once, but I'd never heard it. I didn't know what that sounded like. But boom, there it was. Um, and and I, it kind of freaked me out, but I started laughing. Uh, and then everyone around me was like really celebrating. And so I thought, this must be okay. Uh, and so I went on for about 15, 20 minutes. Um, it was just, it was wonderful. And that was my first dynamic encounter with this gift of tongues. And throughout my Christian walk since 1974, how, how long is that now? Someone said, too, too long. What, do you want me to backslide? <laughs> no, I'm not um, Yeah, about 40 years. 40 years. No way. It is. It is. It's 2014. It's been four, I won't. I've been walking with Jesus for 40 years. Man, when I picture someone saying that, I just pictured this old evangelist. <laughs> about 40 years I walked with God. Anyways, anyways, I really am getting old. That, that, 
Speaking in tongues has been a pretty regular staple in my walk. Uh, praying and worshiping in tongues, it, it's just been, part, it, it, it's, it's been ministered to me. Uh, now, the interpretation of tongues, I have very little experience with. I have one. Um, and this was almost 40 years ago. <laughs> uh, unbelievable. But um, I, I, I and some guys were praying with this young man. We didn't know this young man, but we were praying with him. And as we were praying with him, one person begins to speak in tongues. Um, and it was clear that it was directing it towards this person. And so we're all just praying, and this person's praying in tongues. And just as he's getting towards the end of it, I all of a sudden knew what he was saying. I, I, a message just popped into my brain, and, and I knew what this guy was saying. Now, it, it was really a bizarre experience because I didn't know what he was saying the way you know what I'm saying right now. It wasn't like I had a word-for-word you know, concept of it. It was all at once, like Mozart would get music all at once. The whole symphony would be there. Well, that's how the message was. And so I just shared with this young, young man, I said, um, I, th- I believe what the Lord is saying through this message here is that your love is from God and trust that he will give you wisdom in talking about it with your mother and be confident that he's softening her heart to hear you. Now, I have no idea what that meant. But it turns out this guy had um, been uh, dating this, he was a white guy, he was d- dating a Latino lady. And his mother had a prejudice against Latinos, and so was really objecting to this. He had the day before, or a couple days before, proposed to her, and they were planning on getting married, and this guy was scared to death about telling his mother. Uh, and so that message really landed. Now what that did was, A, it told him that, it confirmed that his, his love for this woman was of God. Two, it gave him confidence to speak to his mother and, and uh, trust God for wisdom about it, knowing that God's going to be working in her heart to help her work through this prejudice of hers. But third, and maybe most importantly, it really confirmed to him that God is real at a time when he was beginning to really doubt it. And that is one of the main values of the charismatic gifts. When they're done rightly and they're really of God, there can be sometimes an incredible confirmation that God is real. He's not just a concept, not just a belief, not just a good theory. He's a reality and he's here right now. And that can just, it's one thing to believe in God, but it's another thing to walk with the awareness that he is real. Amen? He is real and he's here and he's now and he wants to work in us and through us and he's still a miracle working God just as he was in the Bible. He doesn't change. People change. Cultures change, but God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, so th- th- these are the gifts here. Now, um, here's something that's unique about the gift of tongues. We've said over and over again that all the gifts are given for the common good, right? The gift is given to you to be given through you. And it becomes a gift when we give it away. Uh, and that is true of, of tongues. When it's used in a community context and it's interpreted... Because then now that message, that interpretation becomes like a prophetic word or a word of knowledge or something like that, uh, that is, is for the common good. Now what's unique about the gift of tongues is that the way Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 14, it's really clear that there's also a use uh, that is done in private, where a person speaks just to God on their own. They're alone now. And it's not for the common good because no one understands what they're saying and it's not interpreted. But this just strengthens the person. The per- in this case, the gift is actually for the person themselves. Uh, in a community, it's shared, but when it's in private, it's for the person themselves. So I've got to do a little teaching around this uh, so that we can see this distinction. Throughout 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is, dis- is, is saying that prophecy is a greater gift than tongues unless speaking in tongues is interpreted. When it's done in a community context, prophecy is better because people understand it. Uh, but in a community context, it needs to be interpreted. So he says this in, in, in verse 2. 
Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. And here he's talking about this private use. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. That's what prophecy does. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now, the word edifies there, it just means to strengthen. Um, We get the word edifice from it, to build up. And so Paul is saying there's a kind of use of the gift of tongues that just strengthens the speaker. It just builds them up. Uh, But it's not for anyone else because no one else would would, would understand that. No one one else would understand them. This distinction becomes clearer when we move on to uh, verse 18 and 19. Paul says, I thank God, listen to this now, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, you read 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Corinthians were speaking in a lot of tongues. But Paul says, man, I I speak in tongues more than all of you. So this guy spoke in tongues a lot. But in the church, look at that distinction, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Okay, so... Paul, on his own, spoke in tongues all the time, he, more than the Corinthians. But when it came to the church, he says, I'd rather do five words that benefit the common good, that are, are for the common good, than 10,000 words that no one's going to understand. Because that, that would only benefit me. It might strengthen me. But it's self-indulgent because no one else is going to benefit from it. And so he says, when, th- something, when, 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 when speaking in tongues is, is done in church, it's got to be interpreted. So he says this in in verse 13. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. Uh, And and so if if you have uh, the gift of tongues and you feel like it's supposed to be something that's shared with others, pray that God would give you now the gift of interpretation so that you would understand what, what you're saying when you speak in tongues. And then he goes on to say this in verse 27 and 28. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, unknown language, Two or at the most three should speak, one at a time. And remember, he's talking about a context here of, you know, in the house church in the first century, you, you maybe have 15, 20, 25 people, 30 max. Uh, but it'd be a, a smaller group. But he say, it's got to be done decently in order. Uh, two or at the most three. And someone must interpret. This is a non-negotiable for Paul. Uh, if there is no interpreter, he says... If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. And so if, if someone has the gift of tongues and um, uh, they, they, they sense they're maybe supposed to share it, they should pray for the gift of interpretation or pray that someone else has this gift and they know about it. And see, in a house context, you kind of know who gets used in these gifts. It's one of the reasons why in a group like this it just doesn't work because we don't know anything about one another. Uh, for the most part, but, but, but pray that someone's there. And if there's no interpreter, if you don't have the gift and no one else does, then he says, speak to your, stay, remain quiet. And if you speak at all, it should be under your breath. It should be inconspicuous. Because otherwise, it's a distracting, drawing attention to yourself, and it's not for the common good. So in the church, uh, it's to be done uh, in, 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 in private. Um, it's not to be indulgent, self-indulgent. You may be getting blessed. Oh, speaking tongues, speaking tongues, just getting built up, blessed. Oh, that's wonderful. But if everyone else is just sitting there listening to you, it's not for the common good. This is actually, I think, one of the ways that, that this gift gets most abused. Um, a couple of years ago, I came into the church. I had been in a meeting in between services, and I walked in, and immediately I heard this guy 
uh, he was visiting, um, who was speaking in tongues very loudly. I don't know if he was praying, I don't know if he was worshiping, because who could understand him? Um, but it was loud so that everyone around him was, was noticing this. And they're kind of looking at him and stuff like that. Now he happened to be back in, towards the back of the church in the aisle that I had just come in. And so I went up to this brother and I said, seeing how it was really distracting everybody else, I said, brother, can you just lower the volume a little bit here? Uh, and he at first acted like he didn't hear me because he was so on the ethereal plane, so out of touch with the earthly environment, the things of this world, soaring in heaven, that nothing on earth could bother him, which would be great if he was alone at home, but when you're a group of people, that's not the place to be. We've got to be considerate of other people. So I had to lean into his ear and raise my voice and say, hey, brother, I even kind of shook him a little bit. Okay, sober up now, sober up. Uh, brother, uh, can you turn down the volume a little bit? You're kind of distracting people who are trying to worship around you. And having interrupted his ethereal worship and brought him down to earth, he was a little angry with me. Uh, and he looked at me with his angry eyes and spoke with this real condescending tone, like, you know, you m- moron who doesn't get it. How dare you interrupt my soaring in the heavenly realms? Uh, and then he says this, he goes, God is moving in this place. And, and you think I could just turn this thing on and off? And my response was, yeah. yeah God is moving in this place, but... Uh, at least lower the volume, yeah, you know, if you're not going to turn it off. But you have to be considerate of others. And then I quoted him this verse. Paul says this. He says, The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. Thank you, Apostle Paul, for saying that. For God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. The spirit of the prophets is, is, is in the control of the prophets. See, God doesn't just take over us. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I've seen a Hollywood show that a person be, who's going to speak in tongues, their eyes roll back and they, they just kind of go into this trance. Well, God doesn't do that. He's always a gentleman. He always respects our, our, our freedom. He doesn't bulldoze over us. Uh, some demonic festivals do that. I, I've seen you know, vi- films of, of, of like voodoo celebrations where these people get possessed and their, their eyes roll back and they don't have control and you know, they're, they're doing all cra- sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, because demons don't respect the free will of people. If you give them a chance, they'll get in and take over as much as possible. Uh, but God doesn't do that. God speaks with a gentle nudge. He honors. The, he, works, he doesn't overpower the spirit of a person. He works through the spirit of the person in cooperation with the spirit. That's the innermost part of a, of a human being. Uh, he, he asks to be allowed to uh, influence and to move through the spirit of the person. So the spirit of the prophet is always subject to the prophet. And so it is with all the gifts. God doesn't just overpower people so they can't possibly help themselves. No, there is an on and off switch. And that's why, you know, as Paul is addressing the Corinthians in this passage, he's he's addressing some pretty dysfunctional stuff, but he never questions that what they're experiencing is really of God. God can be moving. That guy was right. God was moving. But we do have an on and off switch about how we express it, when we express it, and the volume that we express it with. And that's what what we're responsible for. Uh, God just doesn't come over take, uh, take control. This is why this gift can be and has been abused. It's not to call into question the genuineness of the gift, but it's about the person's wisdom in using it. There's a proper time and a proper place and a proper way. God does everything decently and in order. He's not the God of chaos. And he's certainly not the God of having people draw attention to themselves by screaming out in tongues when everyone else is trying to worship. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a misuse of, of, of the gift that God has, has given to us. And then think about this. If we couldn't control these gifts, if, if, if it's just God taking over, well then, how is it that Paul can tell these people to exercise control and how they use it? 
I want two, at the most three, at a time, and it's got to be interpreted. Well, Paul, you think we have an on and off switch with us? We're so spiritual in the heavenly realms. Who can control this thing? Of course you can control it. That's why Paul gives the instruction here. Everything's got to be done decently and in order. So on your own, in private, have at it. Go into the third heavenly realm and soar and, and stay there all day. That's wonderful. Speak in tongues endlessly, as long as you don't ignore your spouse and kids. Uh, that's wonderful. But in the church, but in the church, uh, and, and by church, I mean these small house church context, uh, better to speak five words that benefit everybody else than 10,000 that they got to sit there and listen to you. And, and it doesn't mean anything to them. Everything in, in a community context has got to be deferred. It's got to be differential. It's got to be for the good of the whole. So that's one of the ways that this gift, I think, sometimes gets really abused. Here's another very common way it gets abused. And it's related to, I think, an erroneous teaching. There's a lot of groups out there that teach that tongues is the initial physical evidence of the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. That is to say that if, if, if you have been filled with the Spirit, you will speak in tongues. So if you have not been filled with the Spirit, you can't say that... Oh, if you don't speak in tongues, you can't say that you've been filled with the Spirit. That's how it goes. In fact, the church I was first saved in, it wasn't just being filled with the Spirit... They didn't think you had the Spirit at all, which means that you weren't even saved unless you spoke in tongues. And that puts a lot of pressure on people to speak in tongues. Um, now, I've pastored in Pentecostal charismatic churches for eight years, the first eight years of my ministry. And I can tell you, that belief creates a number of dysfunctional things. For one thing, it creates a kind of two-tiered Christianity. You've got the haves and the have-nots. The haves are the people who have spoken in tongues and therefore can claim to have the Holy Spirit, and they're on the inside of the Holy Spirit-filled club. And then there's the have-nots, the poor suckers out here who just never got that gift, and, and so they're not filled with the Spirit, and, and um, they don't belong to that club. And in environments like that, that puts pressure on people to try to get that gift. And so you end up with this odd phenomenon of people begging God for this gift. God, please help me. I want to fill me with the Spirit and help me speak in tongues. I, uh, I want to belong to the club. It's just, you know, and they're sincere. They want to be, they genuinely believe this, and so they don't think they're filled unless they can speak in tongues. And they're begging God. I, I felt so sorry for the people at our church where the ante was up significantly because this was about salvation. And you have these wonderful people who didn't think they were saved, and they're begging God to be saved. What's wrong with this picture? Please. And God's up there going, no, no, I'm not going to give it tonight. Maybe tomorrow. Keep, keep on asking. Um, and oh, please, until one in the morning sometimes on a Sunday night, just begging God to, to, to save them. Uh, so what's wrong with this picture? You know, you, you could always, always should assess a belief or a practice by asking what picture of God does it presuppose? What picture of God does it presuppose? And here these folks are up there begging God, and God's just waiting. Just, just trying to, you know, just like maybe tomorrow. Uh, that, folks, is not the, the picture of God that we are given in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is our criteria for everything. The God revealed in Jesus Christ isn't a stingy God, doesn't, isn't a holdout kind of a God, isn't a beg me more God, isn't I want you to grovel God. The God who's revealed in Jesus Christ is this outrageous, extravagant giver. He gives himself away. He overflows towards others. He just loves to give. He loves to bless. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in, in Christ Jesus. When we, ask, when we ask, he runs towards us. He doesn't hold out on us and say, scream a little louder. Uh, it, it's, we need to desire the spiritual gifts, Paul says. Uh, three times between chapters 12 and 14. Desire the gifts, but we desire the gifts because we want to be used by God, and not because we want to meet someone's spiritual criteria. 
And to desire is great, but to beg is not. Begging insults God. People who beg God, make deals with God, it, you're presupposing a God who's, who wants to hold out on you like this. It's like the prodigal son when he returns home in Luke 15, uh, or whatever it is. I think it's Luke 15. Um, you know, he has a speech prepared. He wants to grovel. He's going to beg. And the father, who's the type of, 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 of God the father, he'll have nothing to do with it. The guy starts the speech, oh, father, I've sinned against you. And the dad just says, shut up. And he puts a hat on him, the family hat on him, the family robe on him, the family ring on him, and says, let's throw a party. That's what God is like. That's what God is like. An extravagant giver. There's no begging in the kingdom. There's asking, there's not begging. There's desiring, but there's not begging. Uh, and so any, any belief that leads to this kind of conception of God. In fact, Jesus at one point said, hey, your dads, um, if your kid is hungry and asks for a, a piece of bread, are you going to give him a scorpion? No, I didn't think so. Well, if you being evil wouldn't do that, why would you think God the Father would do that? No, if, then Jesus says explicitly, ask him for the Holy Spirit and he will give it. No begging, no groveling in the kingdom. And any belief or practice that encourages that, you know there's something wrong with that, that belief and practice. Another thing that happens in these two-tiered environments, and this is sad, is, but see, it puts pressure on people. So they are trying to get the Holy Spirit and therefore trying to speak in tongues. Something you never find in the Bible. It happens to you, you don't make it happen. Uh, they're, they're trying to. And the people are trying to get them. They're sincere people trying to get them to just have this sign. And that's where you get this nonsense about, you know, hallelujah, and say, come see my robotai. And I've even read books that try to teach you how to speak in tongues. I'm serious. Uh, Kenneth Hagin says, here's a few phrases that will get a jump started. and gives you some phrases to say. Or say, try saying this backwards. Or at one point he says, or one of these books says, uh, the way to start speaking in tongues is just start praying and worshiping passionately, but refuse to speak your own language. And see, folks, what that does is it just turns us into a cheap gimmick. It's like a parlor trick or something. Uh, and it, it cheapens the whole thing. And what sometimes happens, I think, is that you, what comes out is just gibberish. Because people, you know, and they're not faking it, but they, since they, the pressure on them to get this can be significant. And they've heard others speak in tongues, so part of the brain is just sort of a wish fulfillment thing. They just start imitating that. Not consciously, but that's what's going on. And what comes out sometimes is just, is just bizarre. And they all call that tongues. Uh, it's one group I used to pray in. There was a lady there. We refer to her as the hummingbird lady. Which tells you kind of how she sounded when she was speaking tongues. Uh, and I'm not exaggerating here, folks. And God bless her. But it, it went like this. It went... And it would get higher and higher. And at the very peak, she goes... Ah. And then she started again. And, and, now, we've got to be broad here because Paul says it can be the language of humans or of angels, and foreign languages often sound funny to us. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Gods Are Crazy, but that one tribe, they speak with clicks. You know, clicks, that's weird. So we've got to be broad here. But a hummingbird? I mean, come on. I, I, I think this is what happens. And see, some people hear that kind of stuff, and they say, see, all tongues is just a bunch of gibberish, just a bunch of people making it up. Uh, and they throw the whole thing away. But that's not biblical either. This is just the kind of stuff that happens when you make tongues a sort of special criteria that everyone's supposed to have. And, uh, and the, you're going to have people trying to get it, and that's going to create all sorts of fleshy gibberish stuff. Uh, it, it's inevitable. It's all unnecessary, because the truth is, folks, the Bible doesn't teach that... Speaking in tongues is a significant sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit or any sort of spiritual criteria. It's just one of the gifts. 
It's, it's not the initial physical evidence. It's true that in the book of Acts, you find several places where people were filled or baptized in the Spirit and spoke in tongues. That's true. But you'll also find that uh, sometimes when people are filled with the Spirit, they prophesied. So why not make that the initial evidence? And you'll also find several times that people are filled with the Spirit and it doesn't say anything about a sign. And most importantly, folks, we, we shouldn't ever be making a doctrine based on what the Bible said happened. Because it happened isn't, isn't a precedent for thinking it should always happen. And if you think that, well, then just go out and ask a donkey for some spiritual advice, because that happened once in the Bible. Good luck with that one. We shouldn't base our doctrine on what happened. We should base our doctrine, our thinking about things, on what the Bible says should always be happening, what the Bible says should be happening now. And what the Bible says should be happening now is that we should be seeking to be filled. But nowhere does it teach or suggest or imply that that, uh, we, that, that, that will always mean that we'll be speaking in tongues. That that will be the, the, the necessary sign. And it's just not something that that's taught in the Bible. In fact, we, we have one passage where it seems to clearly rule that out. Paul says this, and he, he's speaking rhetorically here. Which means the answer is an obvious no. Are all apostles? Obviously not. Are all prophets? Obviously not. Are all teachers? Obviously not. Do all work miracles? Don't think so. Do all have gifts of healing? Nope. Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? He says, of course not. But eagerly desire the greater gifts, which in a community context is prophecy. Um, hey, Paul couldn't possibly have said this if he on some other level believed that everybody's going to speak in tongues at least once in their life when they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, this passage says that tongues, like all the other gifts, the Spirit distributes as He wills. And there's not any particular one that stands over the others, and there's not one that everyone's supposed to have. In fact, the whole idea that being filled with the Spirit or baptized in the Spirit is a one-time deal, a one-shot deal. That's how most If you speak in tongues, boom, you've arrived. You're filled with the Spirit, and now you're going to be walking Spirit-filled the rest of your life. I don't know about other people, but it never works that way for me. You have good days and bad days. Anyone else have that? Where it's like, this felt kind of Spirit-filled next day, pretty spiritually flat. Uh, but they give this, they set this bar, like, once you, once you speak in tongues, you should be walking on you know, two feet above the ground at all times. You're, you've entered the spiritual zone, and now you are filled with the Spirit. Uh, the Bible talks about it as an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing thing. Uh, the, the apostles are several times filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts. And yeah, the first time they speak in tongues, but they also prophesy, and there's also fire over their heads, and don't make any of that a criteria. And the other times they're filled with the Spirit, it doesn't mention anything. It says they're filled with joy, maybe that's a criteria. No, it's an ongoing thing. In fact, Paul says this in Ephesians 5. He says, do, uh, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And the tense he uses here is, is uh, a tense that means it's an ongoing thing. Be always filled with the Spirit. Uh, he doesn't say make sure that you were filled with the Spirit. No, it's rather always be being filled with the Spirit. It's an ongoing thing. It's parallels. If you get drunk, it's not going to last forever. And that's, that's just, you know, it happens and then you sober up. Well, he's saying, don't sober up when it comes to the Spirit. Uh, stay away. Don't get drunk on the wine. But uh, get drunk on the Spirit and, and, and always be trying to stay there. Now, of course, in this fallen world, sometimes we're in that zone, sometimes we're not. But uh, uh, it's, it's an ongoing thing. So we should always be saying, God, I want as much of you as I can get. And, and what that basically means is it's us surrendering more and more to Him. Uh, we get filled more with the Spirit because we empty more of the stuff that's in us. And so there's more of Him to fill us. Um, and that's something that's to be an ongoing goal of our life. And a person who is filled with the Spirit, walking in a Spirit-filled moment, they probably will be more open and receptive and sensitive to the charismatic gifts. 
That would be one concomitant there. So they may be used in the supernatural more, I would think. But, but tongues wouldn't have any special role there. Maybe the Spirit would give them that gift. Maybe not. But it's no special criteria. And the best way to discern, if you're looking for criteria, if that's important, I would think it would just be to look at a person's life. One of the things that used to bug me in the Pentecostal circles is that sometimes the have-nots had a better life than the haves. Um, there's more fruit of the Spirit there. And, and that, used to just, like, that doesn't make sense if this teaching is true. Uh, and not only that, but there, almost, there often was a greater humility among the have-nots because the haves felt kind of righteous about having it. And they wondered what the secret sin was that was keeping those folks from having it. Um, no, look at the life. You should Find a person who is uh, exuding with the, the, the Spirit of Christ, because that's who the Holy Spirit is. That person's filled with, filled with the Spirit. A person who, uh, you know, look at the values of a person. Do they spend their time and spend their money uh, in, in, in kingdom ways? Are they living self-sacrificially? Are they investing in the lives of others? Do they really care about the poor? Do they care about the things of God? Do they care about reconciliation? Uh, are, are they uh, reaching out to outcasts? Do they love their enemies? Uh, do they not retaliate when people strike out against them? Is there a peace about them even when some people maybe are, are bad-mouthing them? Um, you know, what, are they manifesting the fruit of the Spirit? Show me a person who's got any of that, and I'll show you a person who's filled with the Spirit. And I don't care if they spoke in tongues or not. It's about looking like, thinking like, loving like Jesus Christ. The Spirit's job is to conform us to Christ. And so a person who's being conformed to Christ, that person is filled. Uh, and, and if a person isn't, they're not filled. I don't care if they, the Holy Spirit does use them now and then with, with, with one of the gifts. Uh, it's not the criteria for whether you're, you're filled or, or, or not. Okay, let, let me uh, um, end with this. I want to give a practical tip here. I, there's nothing I would ever say that, that would ever, I, I never want to, we never want to be encouraging people to try to be filled with the Spirit. Because that is manipulative and it's nonsense and it creates gibberish. But I think there is something I can say that maybe would help people position themselves, put themselves in a position where they'd be more, they'd be more receptive uh, to this gift if the Spirit wants to give them this gift. So here's the thing. As I've said, the Holy Spirit is gentle, speaks with nudges, gentle influences. Never bulldozes over us. He will never make it so that it's impossible for you to speak your own language. I maybe can't say never. I'm not, I can't tell God what to do, but that's not his normal modus operandi. Uh, God always respects, honors the free will of the person, the spirit of the person, works through that spirit, not controlling it. And that means that if we're going to operate in the gifts, as I've said before, we've got to have a space reserved in our mind and heart that's open to listening to the gentle nudge of the Spirit. If, we're, if our brains are crowded with its, their own agendas and plans and programs, we're going about our own thing, well, then we're not going to feel the nudges. Just like if you're in a, if you're in a crowd, in a mosh pit at a rock concert, you're not going to notice if someone nudges you because everything else is bouncing off of you, right? Well, so also, if our brain is crowded with our own plans and agendas, we're not going to notice the gentle nudges of the Spirit. And if we do notice them, we'll dismiss them. We'll, we'll think that they're just a brain burp because they interfere with our plans and, and, and programs. And so we sort of dismiss them. And that's why we just aren't used of the Holy Spirit. Not, not if we, to, to be used of the Holy Spirit in any of these gifts requires that we relinquish control. Think we, we reserve room as we're going through life to let the Spirit interrupt us, nudge us, and we're willing to act on that. And it may interrupt our plans and programs and agendas. It's about relinquishing control, and now the Spirit can begin to use you. It's the exact same way with speaking in tongues. When I was first a Christian, I, as I mentioned before, I, with some regularity, spoke in tongues. It was just part of my prayer life. 
And then I, I became a voracious reader because I finally got interested in something. So I was reading theology and everything else that related to it. And I read these two books that um, critiqued glossolalia from a secular psych- psychological perspective. And uh, they said it's all just you know, man-made, human-made. Now that put a question in my brain. I began to wonder. I, I would then feel like this, this thing coming on, the spirit, spirit moving me in this direction, where I want to express something that's beyond my own words. And, um, and, and I began to wonder, is this me or is this, or is this God? Is, it, how, is this really the Holy Spirit or am I just making this up? I don't want to be fooling myself. I don't want to be manipulating myself. Is this really of the Spirit? And as I'm thinking that, the urge just kind of goes away. Because you see what was happening there was um, I had a conversation going on in my head. And I'm in control of that conversation. Normally, we use our own words, and our own, we choose our own thoughts, and we choose our own words. We're in control. And as long as that's going on, the Spirit's not going to get a word in edgewise. We're in the driver's seat. We're crowding them out. So I had this conversation going, and of course, that means that the Spirit just can't get in there. I'm too busy crowding, crowding him out. I finally decided that, that I went several months without using that gift. I finally decided, hey, look, I believe in the Bible, and this is biblical, so I'm not going to worry about that anymore. If I, if I, I just, I, because it ruins it, so I just decided to go with it, and I've been doing that ever since. Uh, and that's what I encourage people to do with all the gifts. If, if you feel a nudge to go in a certain direction, if you stop and say, "Well, is this genuine? Is it not?" I wonder. I wonder. I just can't figure it out. What's this, why, why? Who knows? Well, the window of opportunity is going to close. Ask only one question: Is is this biblical, and is it consistent with the character of Christ? And if the answer is yes, go with it. That's how we learn how to walk in the Spirit and how the Spirit uses us. Uh, I have talked to scores of people who have said things like this. Um, you know, once in a while when I'm praying or worshiping, I feel this need, this urge to express myself in ways that are beyond words. It's just like something wants to just communicate through me, and, and not my, but me not using my words. And so I stop and I'll ask God, God, is this the gift of the Spirit? Is this a genuine gift of the Spirit? Make it clear to me that this is the gift of the Spirit, and, and, and then just give it to me. I'm waiting here, just give it to me. I'm looking for it, but i got to know if it's really genuine, so just give it to me. Take over, just do it. And then the urge goes away. And I strongly suspect that what's going on here, folks, is that the Holy Spirit is trying to give these people the gift. And they're turning it into a conversation. And the bad part about a conversation is that you stay in control. You're choosing the words. You're choosing the thoughts. You are the one talking to yourself. God can't get in word in edgewise. It'd be like this. Suppose I all of a sudden get this urge to kiss my beautiful wife. Kind of do. Uh, and, and so I, I go up to her and said, honey, I'm going to kiss you. Imagine if she went, why? And I go, because I love you. And, and she goes, uh, so, so is this a tr- kiss of true love? And I go, it sure is. This is a true kiss of true love. And, 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 and she says, well, well how, how will I know? Uh, like, let me kiss you and I'll prove it. And, and, well, is kissing a good epistemological foundation for finding out about the ontology of love? Uh, at some point, I'm going to say, honey, shut up. I want to kiss you. I can't kiss a talking person. It's impossible, or it's sloppy. Uh, it just isn't going to work. To be kissed, you got to shut up. And I think the Holy Spirit's saying here, I want to give these. I want to give you a gift. I want to give you tongues or anything. I, I want to lead you in these gifts, and we we turn it into a conversation. Well, I don't know. Who can be sure? Maybe woulda, coulda, shoulda done it. What? I don't know. But they got to get down. Who can figure these things out? And the Holy Spirit's like, Will you shut up? I want to kiss you. So, folks, whether it's in private or in a small group community context, if there is this sense, and it happens to people in different ways, uh, a sense that you want to express something that's beyond your own thoughts and words. Or sometimes people find that they're having trouble, they start stuttering with their own language. 
However it manifests. Um, and in the community context, pray about, make sure there's a, the gift of interpretation is there because it's only supposed to be used there. Keep it under your breath uh, until you're clear about that. But I encourage you to just, just stop the conversation and go with it. Just keep on praising God. Just keep on praising God. Just start, start thanking Him for it and see what happens. Uh, and, and, and resist the thought to start looking at it and analyzing it and inspecting it and whatever because that just closes the door and everything. And all these gifts, there's a point where you just, if it's consistent with Christ and consistent with the Bible, trust your gut and go with it in Jesus' name. And then some beautiful, beautiful, beautiful things can happen. Final word, shut up and let the Spirit kiss you. That should be the title of this message. Shut, shut up your face and let the Spirit kiss you. Kiss you with a gift. All right. I want to close and, and seal this in prayer. And uh, I'd like to ask the ushers to come forward, or not the ushers, but the prayer team to come forward. And if you are here and have any need whatsoever, maybe it's a hunger for the gifts, maybe it's something unrelated, I want you to come forward and pray with these folks. Um, or if you want to become a disciple of Jesus, come up here and tell these folks about it. And I'd like to get you started on the life of discipleship. Would you stand up? Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, have your way in us and through us. Uh, Lord, free us from uh, sometimes our addiction of, of our self-conversations that can crowd you out and the, the plans and the agenda and schemes that can crowd you out. Help us to be a people who create space for you uh, and are open to and, and even hunger, hungry for all the gifts that you want to give to your church and through your church to build your church and further your church that God will be glorified on earth as it is in heaven. And all of God's people said, Amen. Go out and walk in the Spirit.